Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you are crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. Good to be with you. I've been up at our camp. We had family camp this weekend. Had a blast. I mean, just talking to his families about um, family mission and leadership and um, conflict in the home and balancing work and family and lives. Just had great, great discussions and then sat around a fire. I was around a fire um, last night with, um, with Hayden, just talking about like 20 other people around a fire. I love that. Just talking about life and uh, what we're learning. I had a few guys come up to me at, at camp just saying like, man, I've had like such good conversations as a family that we needed to have that we haven't had for like decades and we needed to have that. So it was just a really cool, really cool week at camp, but it's good to be, good to be back here uh, with you. Now, last summer we had a bridge team. We actually had a bridge team in Honduras a couple weeks ago that just got back, but we had a bridge team down in Honduras last summer doing construction on like a school building for just one. And I've done a little construction before, some of it to get through college actually, but never this kind of construction that I did down in Honduras. For the first couple of days, and I was late getting there, so maybe it was just punishment on my end. But all I did was swing a pickaxe for the first couple of days. Learned how old I was. Swinging a pickaxe in the sun. We would load cars to head to dinner after like our shifts. I would fall asleep on the way to, on the way to dinner. Scott Olson, our, our, the chairman of our elders, he was swinging a pickaxe. Looked far, far younger than, than me. I don't know how that guy does it. But luckily, Maddie, you know, like the blonde, what's happening girl, uh, curly blonde hair girl. She's a brutal boss, by the way. Girl, like, girl had me on a, on a chain gang. I, so I grew up with Maddie. I consider her a sister. Even this morning, she took my kids because I had, like, just some, some miscommunication. So she actually ended up taking my kids this morning. I see her like a sister. She, she was ruthless uh, with me in Honduras. But somewhere in her heart, she found some mercy and gave me a break and rotated me to another job. And this new job that I had was, was tying rebar. And my team, my tying rebar team, was a few hundred guys who didn't speak English, and then me, the gringo. And I only, like, I only know un poquito espanol from, from high school. And all I cared to learn in high school Spanish was how to insult someone or how to pick up a girl. So my, mi espanol is malo, like just useless. And so these construction workers are trying to show me how to tie rebar. We can barely communicate. We're playing this game of charades. And periodically, an interpreter would kind of come in and would step in and, you know, clear things up. So get to this point. It's like, okay, I think I got what you guys were saying. I'm good. So I go over to my station out in the, you know, the middle of the dirt lot. And I get to work. I'm tying rebar for hours. I'm sweating it out in the beautiful Honduran sun. And I don't, I don't want to brag, but I made some pristine, pristine pillar cages with rebar. I mean, they were level, they were symmetrical, they were sturdy. I mean, forget Michelangelo, hang my rebar in the Sistine Chapel. Like, they were works of art. If this pastor gig doesn't work out, I'm tying rebar. I loved it. So hours later, I have this pile of just beautiful, beautiful art. I call the foreman over. I was like, hey, yo soy un artista, eh? Like, gringo was the man, Right? He starts laughing. He's like, yeah, gringo, it's tanto. Tanto, silly. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not tanto. Apparently, I was supposed to, like, to construct the footing of the pillar before the pillar, which got lost somewhere in translation. So the whole team is laughing at me. And I'm sitting there mumbling, you know, my Spanish under my breath. You know, I'm not tanto, too, it's tanto, you know. A burro sabe más que tú. A donkey knows more than you. So 
so I said, you know, they're all laughing. I was like, all right, li- listen, listen, I'll, I'll get the footings. I'll just do the footings. I'll tie the footings to the pillars. No problem. Like, I don't know why you guys are laughing. Like NBD, problem solved. They said, gringo, you tie them so tight, we can't maneuver them to fit in the footings. Like your beautiful pile of art is completely useless. And that pickaxe started looking really, really good. So I spent the rest of the day, spent an hour clipping rebar joints just to start all over. It's the worst. Like the calluses on my hands and the sunburn for the day was just all for nothing because I didn't have the right order. And when you do things out of order, you end up with this useless mess. Regardless of how hard you worked or how great it looked. And I fear that many of us are doing this with our lives. I fear that many of us just spent the whole week doing things out of order. The priorities are all out of order. Oh, don't get me wrong. You're working hard. You get this beautiful life that looks good. You have this wonderful career. You have a beautiful family. Like you are tying everything down beautifully. It looks like a piece of art. But in the end, when it's done and the boss comes over, will what you spent your decades building, will it matter? Have you been doing life out of order? Will it all be for nothing? Like how many people will get to the end of their life and find out, man, I spent my years building something useless. It's a lot of, it's most people. That's why an old guy named Haggai wrote an ancient blog and he's up to bat today. Haggai chapter one is where we're going to start. It's page 70, 791 in the Bibles in the chairs. Otherwise, I know a lot of people use phones or tablets, but Haggai chapter one, we also have notes and we just have one point today. One point, it might've been because I was speaking up at family camp and didn't have enough time to do two others. Um, no, it's just mainly because Haggai's got one point, one big major point for us. And so we're going we're gonna to hit that hard today. We've been in the series, Minor Prophets, looking at the, these 12 guys right at the end of the Old Testament that many people just kind of skip over because they're guys with weird names, you know, Haggai and uh, Zephaniah, uh, Obadiah. It's like, I, I, you know, your names are weird. Probably not going to read your blogs. A lot of people will read the Bible and then they'll just kind of skip over these 12 guys. But as a church, we just decided to devote this summer to these 12 obscure minor uh, prophets. And we've been finding so much value uh, in this. And Haggai is up today. Weird name, right? Haggai or for Haggai. People say it very differently. In the circle that I grew up in when I was a kid, um, they called them Haggai. Then when I went to Bible college, my professor said Haggai. So in college, I was like, well, I better change how I say it. I don't want to sound like an idiot. So I tried to, you know, saying it like Haggai. Then I went to grad school and my professors in grad school went back to Haggai. So I'm all confused. I'm, I've been back and forth. You're probably going to hear me say it both ways. But the truth is both pronunciations are probably wrong. I think the Hebrew way of, of saying it had like the the back of the throat, you know, of, of the Haggai, which I'm not going to do this whole time. So we're just going to go with Haggai or, or Haggai. But either way, it's just kind of a weird name to us, right? So people kind of give up on them, like can't even read or really say your name, bro. So I'm not going to make it through your, your whole blog. But today we're going to push past that, get to know Haggai a bit better. And as we do, we're going to find something so convicting, yet so powerful. I hope you're up for it. If you're not, it's too late now. I think it was raining when we came in. You're stuck in here. So here we go. Let me pray and I'll just jump in. God, we do thank you for your word. And may you remind us in this moment right now just of the weight of this. The most important time of our week that as we get together with brothers and sisters, we get to hear from dad. You will speak as you always do through your word. I ask that we listen. May we not spend this time fighting conviction 
that may we humbly submit ourselves to your word, be open to your Holy Spirit, not just illuminating this text to us, but convicting us. Father, we ask that uh, you change our hearts through the power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of scripture zooms in on Haggai chapter one, we find ourselves in Jerusalem. Rays of sunlight peek through the scattered clouds, peppering shadows on the green valley below. And kids run down the, the steep hill to the brook to cool off in the refreshing water. Up on top of the hill, teams of men build scaffolding around the city walls to repair some of the mortar and the bricks. And women throughout the city brush, uh, brush uh, branches out of old wine presses before they start stomping grapes. See, last year, the city of Jerusalem was just about a ghost town. It was depressed and it was empty. Today, the city of Jerusalem is a straight up party. It's a day that they know they'll one day tell their grandkids about. But words won't be able to paint the feeling that hangs in the air in this mountain city. It's high, high emotions, but it's also mixed emotions. I mean, there's elation, of course, this overwhelming excitement, this bubbling joy. See, for 70 years, the Jews were held in captivity far from Jerusalem. And for seven decades, they yearned and they longed to get back to Jerusalem. For generations, they had been told about this city from their parents, the the specialness of Jerusalem, the history of the city going back to King David. This is the city where God himself dwelt with his people, the great temple, the beautiful Kidron Valley below. Like there is nothing like Jerusalem. And yet here they are, free from captivity, back in the city of their ancestors. Each day they wake up in the city, it's like they have to pinch themselves. Yet there's also this stress the city's in complete disrepair. Houses are burnt down, many leveled. There's confusion over who lives where, who gets what. The market is bare. There's an economy to reboot. They're extremely vulnerable. So there's the threat of attack. There's crops to plant. There's posts to fill. There's an army to recruit. There's businesses to start. It's all extremely overwhelming and the shock won't soon wear off. And so they get to work, tying rebar, so to speak, planting crops, repairing homes, but it's all out of order. Verse one, you ready? Haggai chapter one, verse one. It says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Isn't that so good? So good, isn't it? Like we can just end there. Super inspiring. <laughs> no, actually, so this is an important verse. Because what Haggai's doing is he's giving us context. And when we study scripture, when we read scripture, context is very important. Uh, this is not a made up story. This actually happened. And there's, this, there's historical names and dates to back it all up. But I want to point out here just a couple of things. Haggai writes the sixth month. This would have been the Hebrew month Elul, which is September. So it's like the beginning of fall. And Haggai includes in here that it's the first day of the month. It's like September 1st. And that's not just a random day. Uh, the Jews during this time saw the first month of the first day of the month as a holy day that would be that would be made for worship on that day, whether it was Sabbath or not. If it was the first day of the month, you gave it to God. It was worship, and this comes from the idea that we give our first to God. We give of our first fruits to God. We give of our best to God, and so the first day of every month was given to God. 
I like that. I feel like it's just too bad that we've lost that over the years. But the first day of the month, it goes to God. And so Haggai is setting up this scene. He's saying, okay, it's fall, September time. Uh, Jerusalem has had, you know, at least a few days where you've had some temperature relief here and there in the evenings. It's many people's favorite time of the year. It's the first day of the month. So it's this worshipful gathering that's happening. And Haggai has a message from God to the people in Jerusalem. This is, this is what it says. Thus the Lord of hosts says, these people say, so Jerusalem, the people in Jerusalem say, that time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So God says, okay, let me just get this straight. I free you. I give you a new life. I give you this city. I bless you. And instead of this blessing causing you to worship me through serving, you receive my blessing with all of the stress and create all of your to-do lists. It's a slap in the face. And yet I do the same thing. And I bet you do the same thing too. I see it all the time in my own life. Hey, I'll get to serving. It's just, listen, now's not the time, okay? It's sports season. God has blessed us with these opportunities and health and money to be able to enjoy sports. And so, you know, it's serving in church. Now's not the time right now, okay? It's sports season. Or, um, hey, we just had a baby. Uh, we're gonna fo- focus on nesting and building the home, uh, serving, you know, being in church, pursuing God. That's just gonna have to go on the back burner for, for now. Now, I'm not saying you need to like be serving the day after you have a baby, but some people, it's, you know, it's months, it's years. It's just like, hey, now's not the time. God bless me with this baby. It's just, it's just my excuse to, to not serve him. Or, you know, hey, I just got this new job and uh, I need to get, figure out this position. I need to learn the ropes. I need to take a step back from church, from, from God's community, really from pursuing God so much. God has blessed me with this new job. So I just kind of need to figure this out before I go back and I, I serve him. And what we do, and we don't do this intentionally, but if you think about it, what we do is we take this gift from God, whether it's an opportunity, a baby, a new job, and we use that gift as an excuse to not serve the one who gave it to us. This is Israel at this point. God gives this massive blessing, freedom, a city. Israel takes the blessing and says, thanks, because we have this. Got a lot to do now. Now's not the time to build your house We'll build ours first. Let us get our stuff done. Then we'll get your stuff done. They're tying rebar out of order. And they're working hard. I imagine these people are waking up early in the morning. They're putting in 12 to 14 hour days to repair and build their homes and reboot the economy. Long hours of of hard work to repair streets. All this for nothing. And God in his grace, he steps in first day of the month in September and says, whoa, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Start with my house that's lying in disrepair. My house, my community, the presence of God is the foundation for your life. Don't do anything without your foundation. And I wonder if God is saying the same thing to any of us. Verse three, it says, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. I'll I'll throw verse four up here on the screen. It says, is it time for you yourselves, again, this is God speaking to the people of Jerusalem, to dwell in your paneled houses? Well, this house lies in ruins. You you notice the sarcasm here? I'm kind of surprised. Like, is God sarcastic? Kind of looks like it to me here. And the phrase paneled houses is really the giveaway. Paneled houses were artistic. They were ornate homes. See, during this time, uh, Jewish homes especially, but just like homes during this time in general uh, were just stone and mortar. 
the average home had very little decor. I mean, there's nothing ornate about a typical home. It was just impractical to be artistic with your home. It was just stone and mortar. But apparently in Jerusalem, they're streaming HGTV because they're getting really, really fancy with their homes. And that in and of itself isn't wrong. Like I, I love artistic flares in homes. I, for me personally, I love finding industrial antiques and putting them in my home. My wife makes fun of me because uh, I like atmosphere and I like deco. She's the organizer and I'm out buying art and lights. Um, so decorating, it's, it's not wrong, but the point that God is making here is here you are, you're spending so much time and so much money on making your homes look so nice, but my home, the temple is in shambles. So not only did you build your homes first, but you're getting really fancy while my house has yet to be repaired. Now's not the time to build my house, but apparently now's the time to make your house really fancy. You boil it all down, they're guilty of what we can be guilty of. They're putting God's work aside so they can build their own lives. Hey, I'll get to God, but like my family's got this and I'd rather do this and job needs this. And God says, you're doing it backwards. You start with my work. You start with my desires. You start with my church, my community. You start with time with me. And then you live from there. Like we say we're God's people, but is he really prominent in our lives, in our pursuits and in our passions and in our focus? If you ever go to Berlin, there's this building that will catch your eye in the downtown area. This is the Berlin State Museum. And it's got a very eclectic collection, everything from like history, science, and art. And there's this one piece in the, the Berlin State Museum that for whatever reason, it just, it fascinates me. It's a painting from 1860 by an artist named Adolf Menzel. And I know he looks like the Scrooge, totally. He's got the Scrooge vibe going on. But somehow Menzel, he, he made this painting and somehow it made it into the, the Berlin Museum. And it's not even that great of a painting because it's, it's unfinished. It's a 160 year old painting, not even finished. And somehow it captivates me. The title of the painting is Frederick the Great Addresses His Generals. And if you look at the painting, you can see the generals. You notice who's missing? You see it? The king is missing. So the whole point of the painting, the title is Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great ain't so great in the painting because he's not even in it. Apparently what happened is Menzel started with painting the generals and then the majestic horses, you know, the detailed snowy ground. And then Menzel was planning on painting the king later on, but then he died. And he left this rather ridiculous painting where the main subject, the title of the painting, isn't even in the painting. Now it's silly, but I think it captivates me because how many of us are painting that with our lives? Oh, I'm a Jesus follower. Claim to be God's people. Ah, it's all about God. We love Jesus. But the picture of our lives doesn't even really have them in it. Like we're busy building our careers, parenting our kids, painting, uh, painting our hobbies, painting our, our, sport, our kids' sports. And it's just like, I'll get to God. We'll get to him later on, time with him, serving him. Now it's just not the time. And then we die and we leave these silly paintings of a, a life of a follower of Jesus. And people look at it like, I don't, I don't see Jesus in that life. 
It's utterly fascinating what God says next. You might even feel this in your own life, but at the end of verse five, or actually verse five, it says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. I love this. And then he goes on, verse six, he says, you've sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes in it. It's the ancient way of saying, you're just spinning your wheels here. You're out there building your own thing, trying to do life as best you know how, filling your calendar, event to event, meeting to meeting, sport to sport, errand to errand. But look, you're just spinning your wheels. You're getting nowhere fast. When I read this verse, it reminded me of a, of a couple falls ago. I took Nicole and the kids down to Louisiana. My, my brother lives down there. So we're gonna take our camper down there and just stay with, with him for, for about a week. And we got a late start to the trip. I had like this meeting that went long and so we got a late start to the trip. And so finally we're on the interstate, you know, pulling the camper. And, and the goal was to get to the Kentucky border for the first night before sundown. Because, you know, when the, when the sun's down now, it's just harder to set up camp. So we're literally driving down the interstate just like racing the sunset. Because it's just harder to set up camp in the dark. At sunset, we pull into the campground. So the sun's going down, pretty much missed it. And then it starts to downpour. It's like, oh, Perfect. So I'm sitting in the truck and Nicole and I are sitting there. We look at our spot that, that we reserved and we notice oh, it doesn't even have water hookups. So not only do I have to set up camp in the dark rain, but like I've got to go somewhere and find a water spigot to fill up the camper with water so that the girls can take showers tomorrow morning. So we drive around the park and we're just looking for some sort of spigot to fill up the camper with. We're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And finally, Nicole says, hey, found one but it looks like one of those old like pump, water pumps, you know, the kind we actually have to pump to get water out. I'm like, what kind of like backwoods Kentucky are we? So Nicole and I head out into the pouring rain. I was like, babe, I need you to hold the hose into the camper and then I guess I'll just pump, pump the water. And so she's holding the hose into the water to, to fill the tank. And it's, again, pouring rain for 10 minutes, I'm just pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping. Out of breath, I finally yelled, I was like, how full are we? She's like, hardly any. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I mean, it, like, it just kind of spurts out for a second and then it stops. I was like, there's no way. I've been pumping for 10 minutes, honey. Come to find out it wasn't a pump. It wasn't a pump at all. When you lift the lever, it got, the water gushes out. When you press it back down, it shuts it off. <laughs> all I had to do is lift up the lever. <laughs> Let the water flow. So idiot gringo's back out there just pumping water in the rain for 10 minutes. And to make it worse, my wife's on the ground cry laughing, hyperventilating. This is, this is the picture that God is painting here. He's saying you're working so hard. You're pumping water in the rain. You're waking up early. You're attacking the day. You're putting in the extra hours. You're running your kid from sport to sport to sport to sport. You're knocking out the house project list, but you're not getting much out of the hose, are you? Because you're doing it wrong. You sow a lot. You harvest little. You're putting all these hours into work. And then your head hits the pill. It just feels like you don't have much to show for it. You have these full calendars, but you have empty results. You're trying to have this fun marriage, but at the end of the day, you just kind of feel like it's a drag. Problems keep popping up. It's just not as fun as it should be. You're trying to save. You're trying to aim your money, but you don't feel like you're really firing, you know, financially firing on all cylinders. You're trying to live fresh, but you're struggling mentally. You don't feel like you're living intentionally. I think we all know the feeling, don't we? 
And according to Haggai, this is all symptoms that our lives or part of our lives are being built out of order. It's why he says, consider your ways. It's time to really rethink what it looks like to follow Jesus holistically with your life. One lesson from a prophet with a hard to pronounce name. Just one lesson. God's house is main priority. And I know it's like, it's an obvious point. Totally. But like, is this really happening? Somebody look at your life and say, no, this is totally true of your life. Like, honestly, the gathering of God's people, God's kingdom is your main focus. Now, I know we're all here. It's like, it is a priority for us. We're here. But that's the main focal point. A few years ago, I was driving by um, one of our locations. It was Sunday morning. And my girls thought we were going to Des Plaines, but I, had to pre- I was preaching here. And so we were driving by uh, our Des Plaines location, and my girls were like, whoa, whoa, Dad, where, where are we going? And I made a joke I probably shouldn't have made, but I was like, ah, we're not going to go to the bridge anymore. We're going to go find another church and just go there. <laughs> and, uh, and they almost started crying. <laughs> They're like, no, Dad, church is our world. And I thought, like, that's overdramatic. <laughs> But then I thought, no, that's so good. Like they're teaching me a lesson here. Churches are, the kingdom of God, the gathering of God's people is our world. This is where we live from. It's our world. You think about it this way. How we start something is incredibly important, isn't it? Like in the NFL, uh, teams will actually have big meetings. NFL teams will have big meetings on and big full practice is devoted to figuring out how can we score on the opening drive, on the very opening drive, because that, that sets the tone and that creates very early momentum. Uh, movie directors will invest massive amounts of energy and money into the opening scene because the opening scene sets the stage. It's the same with like concerts. You go to concerts, the first song really sets the stage and, and builds the hype. Uh, if you build a building, major part of the architectural planning and construction is focused on the foundation because bad start, building crumbles. It's the same with your week. It's the same with your week. How do you launch your week? How do you start your week? This is why God's people gather together the first day of the week. Is that decision on the weekend to make church a priority or to do your own thing? That determines your whole week. It determines your whole life. And I fear that all too often we can almost view church like most people view the gym. So yeah, the gym is good, right? The gym is a good thing to have in our lives. Get to it when I can, especially in January, you know, with the uh, whole New Year's resolutions, we'll get to the gym. And uh, I'll go there, you know, if, if I'm feeling guilty about missing too many workouts or, oh, I had a rough weekend, shouldn't feeling kind of bloated, maybe I should go in and work that off. But most people don't build the gym into their routines. And if we do, it's like, hey, I'll go, but it's like in and out, right? I, I, I don't want to be noticed. I don't want to be one of those meatheads who are carrying around the, like, you see those guys carrying around the gallons of water at the gym? I always see them like, what the heck are you doing, bro? Like, how long are you here? Like, you need that whole thing. It's like, so we look at those guys like, I don't want to be that guy. So it's just like, let's just easy in and easy out. Like, we'll, we'll see you next week, Jim, maybe. Many churchgoers, we view the church the same way. Like, ah, church is like a good thing for my life, but like, I don't need to be a meathead about it. So I'll go when I'm feeling guilty about missing too much or eh, if I had a bad week, you know, kind of feeling 
little sin. I'll go into church to purge that sin. And when I do go into church, it's just in and out, not really invested, not making this a priority. Let's not go overboard. And while I understand that thinking, while I understand that, Haggai is calling us to the mat. Full in or full out. You're living in, you're living out. You're living in God's community or you're not. There's no both. You're living your life aimed at God and his kingdom or you're not. There's no both. And in our sin, we try to do both. And here God just isn't putting up with it. Is the community of God's people your community? Can you say, church is our world, faithful to the gathering. Now I get the difficulty in this, I really do. Anytime Nicole and I, we go out of town, I'm so tempted to skip church. Especially if like we're camping, you know, waking up on a Sunday morning, it's like, yeah, I don't know find a church and drive there. I'd rather read. I'd rather fish. And visiting a church, it's just weird sometimes, right? It can be super awkward. It can be the worst. Those of you who are visiting the bridge this morning, I got a hand. Thanks for coming out. I get it. It can be weird to visit a church. You, you know, you go into church and most churches, you walk in, you're like, yeah, I don't even know where to go. And then you're like, oh, I got my kids and they probably shouldn't go into the service. So you, you take them to like their kids area. And then a nanny McPhee, this old church lady just shows up and she's like, I'll take your kids. You're like, oh gosh, sorry guys. I feel bad sending you with her. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen now. This is why we put our best looking people at Bridge Kids, by the way. <laughs> and so, you know, you drop them off with like Nanny McPhee and then you come into the auditorium and you're like, all right, I'm in, I don't even know where I'm at, but like, I'm in here, I'm at church. And then the pastor gets up, he's like, hey, greet someone next to you. And you're like, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> like, these people look nice, but like, I don't need to greet anybody, right? Like, force greeting time, come on. Half the time I go to church, I'm, I get asked if I need assistance. So I, I, <laughs> I, get, I get it, I get it. I tell you what though, as much as I wanna skip church sometimes, my family, we, we power through that awkwardness. Nicole and I had this conversation just a couple weeks ago. We were out of town and I said, to her, I was like, babe, we gotta go. I know you and the girls aren't feeling it, but like we have to go. And in, it's often awkward and it's often inconvenient, but we do it because we wanna show our girls, hey, the church is the pillar of your life. You were right. The church is your world. And yet it can be weird and it can be awkward and sure, sometimes scary with the church lady, Nanny McPhee. I get that. But for the most part, church people are great. Church people are great people. And yeah, there's enough critics out there, especially people my age, you just slam in the church, finding everything wrong with church people, but there are people. There are people. And it's not an option. Like in our home, we don't wake up on the weekend going, are we going to church this weekend? That's never a, that's never a question in our home. That's not asked in our home. Instead, it's when are we going to church and who's serving where? I love it this morning. Um, I So my girl's, they started serving. They actually serve at a displays location because it's just near where our house is and where my wife goes. Um, and so my youngest, she's, she just turned six. And so she serves in the nursery now. She got the okay to serve in the nursery. And so she'll go to Bridge Kids and then the next service she'll go and she'll like hold the babies and play with the And the nursery workers love it because it's like, you know, we got somebody to play with the babies on, on the ground. But like this morning, I, I told them, I said, well, you guys got an option. You have to go to church, but like, do you want to just come to Randhurst with me or do you want to you go to Displains and serve? And they said, no, we, we need to serve. And so on the way here, I dropped my girls off at our, at our Displains location. And it was the cutest, my youngest. She runs into church and it was the first day that she got her badge that had her picture on it that said nursery worker. 
And she ran in, grabbed that badge. It was just the biggest smile. It was like, it was, I've, I've never seen her smile that big. Even on her birthday, getting presents, it was just like putting that thing out. I was like, ah. Oh. It's like, I love that. I want to keep that in our family because this is a pillar for our home. We live from our community. Our faith is very communal and we serve and we invest. And I think as a society, we've lost a little bit of that. Now, I'm not saying specifically us, but in general as a society, it wasn't long ago when Christians just outright refused to open business or to engage in sports on a Sunday. Like Chariots of Fire, for example. You ever see that movie? Eric Liddell refused to run on a Sunday. It's like, nah, it's God's day. I think of guys like James, uh, I think it was James Dobson, a um, big tennis player in high school, had scholarship offers and uh, had a tournament on a Sunday and refused to play, actually missed out on some scholarships because I'm not gonna play on God's day and missed out on college scholarships. And you're like, dude, why would you do that? But you look at his, like his ministry and God has really blessed him. But this conviction in Western Christianity is waning. And I fear, I fear of what that communicates to the next generation. God's community, take it or leave it. You know, if you don't have anything better going on, it's probably good to go. You know, it's a nice thing to have. And God says, no, no, no. It's the first thing. It's the centerpiece of your life or it's nothing. Now I wanna add a caveat to this. And, and this can be big and can really adjust a lot of our thinking when it comes to priorities and life. Uh, at first, this point was God's house is, comes first, which it does. It comes from scripture. That's what God is saying. Hey, build my house first. The problem with that phrasing, at least in, in English, or the way we see that is we often misapply it. So for example, a lot of people's Instagrams, if you go on Instagram or you know, people's dating profiles, um, they'll list their priorities and their profiles in order. And I'm not down on it, but this is like what a lot of us do. People will put you know, our priorities. It's like, here's my priorities. Number one, God first. Number two, family. Number three, friends. Number four, work. And if you're a girl, you're like, and pumpkin lattes for the fifth one. You know, so we have our, we have our, we have our list of, of pri- priorities, right? And, and you've seen this, or maybe you do it, and it's great. I'm not, I'm not down on it. List of priorities. God first. That's great. That, that, like, such a good heart. And family. Problem is, is like, this doesn't make sense in, in reality. Like this doesn't translate to real life. This really doesn't work. Family comes before work. How does that work? Because on average, but this summer on average is what, 55 hours a week would be what I work this summer. I don't spend 55 hours a week in time alone with God. So does that mean that my work comes before God? I don't spend 55 hours a week with my family. Does, does that mean that like work comes before family? Does that mean if you have a full-time job, you're an idolater? Like how do, it doesn't translate. Like I knew a guy, it was so funny. He got married and you know, newlywed honeymoon stage. His wife wanted him around all the time. And uh, she just couldn't stand it when he would go to work. And so when he'd leave for work, you know, she'd be like, oh no, honey, don't I come first? I'm your wife. And he was like, well, I mean, that's true. So he, he didn't go into work. And after a few weeks, he ended up getting fired. What an idiot. But his defense, he was just trying to follow the priority list, right? That, that, this mentality, well, family comes before work. It's like, no, that's stupid. Life's not, life's not a list. And for us list people, I know this hurts to hear, but just go with me for a second. 
Life priorities aren't lists to check off because life is, is always ebbing and flowing and changing. There's certain seasons where you have like different priorities and different focuses. Instead, think of, instead of a list, think of your life priorities like a wheel. We'll call this the wheel of life. This is your life priorities. It's a wheel. And each spoke on the wheel is an area of your life, family, work, friends, hobbies. And as life goes on, the, the wheel, it turns. So you go into a busy season with a busy season with work. So work's at the top, right? It just needs your full attention. Maybe you're doing double duty or you're putting in this overtime and it's just a season, but like work needs to be your main focus right now. Totally get that. It's just like sometimes. Then something happens though with the family. And so the wheel then turns, you know, maybe it's like summer. And so you want to step away from work a little bit more to spend more time with the kids and invest in the kids over the summer. Or maybe a parent's health is failing. So you're pumping more attention into the family. But at some point you kind of find yourself tired, like man, long hours at work and then family issues. You're like, I need to recharge. So I'm going to get away with the weekend with the guys and I'm going to enjoy, or the girls and I'm going to enjoy a hobby. And that's a good thing to do. But then the, the, the week you get back from a hobby, a friend goes through a crisis and you need to be there for support with your friend. So the, the wheel turns. Life's not a list, it's a wheel. And the message that God is get, sending through Haggai is you're leaving out the center of the wheel. I'm at the center of the wheel. All of your priorities come from your relationship with me. You live all of these different areas of your life from me. I hold it all together. Like try riding a bicycle with spokes without a centerpiece. It's going to fall apart. I, I recently got into uh, fat tire biking. Like a couple weeks ago, I got a fat tire bike. And then I met like 10 other guys at church who do fat tire biking. This is cool. We're gonna, I think we're going to start a club, biker gang. Really looking forward to it. Um, but I was talking to a guy up at family camp yesterday, actually. He was telling me, because he was helping me repair a bike. And he was telling me that, uh, spokes on a wheel, they don't push the rim out, but they pull the rim in. So the center of the wheel is pulling everything in. I was like, oh, that's good. I got to remember that because I'm talking about a wheel this weekend. Like this is, this is what God is doing. I'm, I'm keeping everything, your whole life together. I'm, I'm bringing it all in. But some of us are operating like we don't have a centerpiece to our wheel. It's a beautiful family, great career, but you're not going anywhere. See, not only is this a biblical concept, but it makes sense. Your priorities won't compete if God is at the center of your life. Maybe that's hard to believe because you got a lot of competition between work and family and friends and all that. But the reality is if you have God at the center of your life and you're building your priorities off him, there's no competition. And this is a message from Haggai. See, it's really cool. If you look at the context of, of Haggai, God designed Jerusalem to operate with the presence of God being central. So Jerusalem's almost like this, this example of all of us. But the city of Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem's business, families, parties, homes, marketplaces, construct, construction, all of that, it was all centered around the presence of God in the city. So God's design of Jerusalem was awesome. Jerusalem was intended to be the city unlike any other city, a city of rare unity, a city with a lot of celebrations, all centered around the presence of God. 
It was to be a city that other cities would look at and think, well, that's kind of peculiar, but actually pretty beautiful. Like people would say, even those who weren't Jewish would say, you gotta see, at least see Jerusalem. It's unlike anywhere else. The problem is everyone in Jerusalem is so stressed about getting their homes in order, opening up their businesses, doing their construction, so, so like busy and worked up trying to accomplish their task list that they're taking this amazing city and they're just building it like the neighboring cities. And that's our story too. God designed us and you to operate like Jerusalem. We have the presence of God in us and we, we build off of that. Everything is centered around God in us, the community of God. But yet we get so worked up trying to accomplish all of our task lists, keep up with everybody else, that all we're doing is we're copying our neighbors. Here we are working hard, nice homes, beautiful families, but it's a pile of useless rebar because God really isn't the centerpiece of our passions and our schedules. And so we sow much at work, harvest very little. We drink much, never satisfied, working hard with little to show because the centerpiece of our life, it just really isn't there. Now we'd like to say it's there, but it's not. Now, thankfully in Haggai, the people of Jerusalem heard God's message loud and clear. And in verse 12, if you have your Bibles in front of you, they, they pivot. They paused their house projects. They delayed the opening of their business. They postponed some of the construction. And then the people aimed their time and their resources and their passion at the center of the wheel. They said, okay, let's build this, the centerpiece of our community, the centerpiece of our lives. Let's focus on this. Let's start serving more. Let's invest in this. Let's get this right. And then let's build the rest of the city. And I believe that you and I would do well to do the same. And that might look like drastic changes to our calendars. But if God is actually we believe him to be. He has to be the focal point of our lives. I'll finish with this. There's a verse that for some reason, I haven't been able to shake it lately. It just keeps coming to mind. Maybe for this sermon, maybe God wants it shared with this community. Maybe because I'm just building wrong myself. And so God's just convicting me. But regardless, it's a verse that I've been able to shake. And I just want to share it with you. And I hope it sticks with you this next week. But Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians but on judgment day, this is 1 Corinthians 3, on judgment day, so this is a day that is coming, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. You're that builder and you're building a career as you should be. You're, you're building a business, you're building a home, you're building a family and we should make them great. But the order in which we build, it really matters because the fire's coming. And some of us will spend our lives building piles of hay that'll just burn right up. Living a life that mattered very little for eternity. But may we be a people, verse 15, this is my heart. This is my prayer. God, we find our church to be this verse right here. Connecting everything we do to you. Because you give direction and you give meaning to our work and you give power to our work. Any part of our life that is disconnected from him, it's just useless. It'll burn right up. And whether we like it or not, the day is coming. The fire will test and there will be portions of our life, for some of us, great portions of our life, for others of us, maybe smaller portions of our life, but there will be portions of our life 
there just won't be anything to show. And so as we build, let's build right. We start here. We do this, whether it frustrates us or not, we do this. We live from this. We invest in this. And then we make sure that our calendars and our commitments reflect the center of our lives. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time. Thank you.